Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Between Two Worlds. Thanks for getting this far. If this is your first time, welcome. You've got a lot of episodes to go listen to, and if you've been with me from the beginning, thank you so much for listening. It's been really cool to see the community that is forming around this podcast. What I've been trying to do is balance an audience of Christians and non-Christians. That's not always easy to do, and for that reason, certain episodes are going to rub certain people the wrong way or make you think. And that's ultimately what I'm hoping to do here on Between Two Worlds. I'm hoping to start to build our social media presence and I need your help. We're going to start to use our Instagram as a way to gather questions, feedback, uh, people's thoughts on different episodes. And so if you could start to join us on at Between Two Worlds podcast on Instagram, we're also on Facebook, on YouTube. We'd love to hear from you because your questions, your insights, your feedback is what this podcast is all about. So without further ado, enjoy our season two. Hey, everyone. We're back. Here we are, Between Two Worlds, a podcast about, you guessed it, belief, unbelief, and everything in between. I'm your host, Scott Trout, here with my co-host, Mr. Joey. Hello. <laughs> um, and I'm very excited today, very special guest. Can anyone guess? I'll tell you. We're here with one of my brothers. I have four. I have four of them. This is my favorite brother. But I am going to say that about every brother. Um, <clears throat> this is Casey. Casey's here on the podcast. He is the brother above me. So I'm right there in the middle, the honored, the, the, the cherub seat. Um, and Casey's number two. So Casey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, so this is the first time having a brother on here, having, having a family member. Um, maybe more to come, other brothers, if you get your act together, get some interesting thoughts. Um, and yeah, Case, so uh, it'd be fun to talk a little bit about, well, obviously people know how we know each other, but some memories that we have of um, each other. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> um, if you would like to go first, you can. What was I like as a little, as a little tyke? Well, my earliest memories of you, um, I don't know if other people did this in their families, but uh, Joy, are you an only child? I have a little sister. You have a little sister. Okay. So in our family, I'm not sure if you had this dynamic, but we would like trade our friendship as commodities. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, one day I'd be your friend and the next day I wouldn't be your friend if you displeased me. But if you then did what I said, you could be my friend again. Um, but Scott was actually kind of good at playing Trevor and I off of each other. So we would each, Trevor and I would be fighting and we would be like, Scott's my friend. And Trevor would be like, no, he's my friend. And then Scott would kind of try to use that to get what he wanted and determine who his friend he was. Uh, but I remember even doing that with, with people at school, like friendship was a commodity that you traded and took away and gave back depending on what you could get out of it. I, I'm like, how primal is that? That's pretty interesting. 
Uh, but I, I think early on, Scott and I weren't necessarily the best of friends. It was more, he, he, it's, it was Trevor and I, my older brother. We were good friends, um, compatriots, I'd say. And Scott was kind of like pushed to the margins. Someone wanted me. Uh, oh, no. It's so like, sad. It, it is actually really sad. Like, I look back on it with some sadness. Uh, and there was one day, I, I think, that, like, this was um, almost a moment from God, but, like, I was walking past Scott's room, and I think Scott even had his own room, and Trevor and I shared a room, because um, at that point in time, I don't, I think Nate, maybe Scott shared it with Nate, hmm. but Scott was playing by himself, and I just got the sense that Scott was really lonely, and I just felt really bad for him. That like, it was the first time I ever felt bad before. I was just like, Scott's just a commodity of friendship that we trade. Uh, but I felt bad and I went over and um, Scott had, the, the other crazy thing is Scott had created a whole world called Zoom Ward. That was his own world that he played in. And it was really cool. But also looking back, I'm like, did he create that whole world because he didn't have a place to exist in this one? Like, uh-huh. did he create this whole world just to have a place to belong? Because his brothers didn't want like a real relationship with him. So then I, I went over to him and he was sitting down playing. Oh, we, we were really young. And uh, and I was like, hey, can, can I come into your, can I play in your world too? And from that point on, Scott and I became really good friends and we played in Zoom Ward uh, with all of the different creatures that he had come up with, all the different characters. And um, uh, he had a whole list, a whole character list of, of characters. It was an elaborate world. And uh, we just played in there. I ended up drawing a lot of the creatures. I have all those drawings still. And um, that, that was like the beginning of like a really cool relationship where Scott and I have been really close. Scott would always play the princess and that's really embarrassing. Um, I have a lot of embarrassing. There was like, I mean, our little minds were so weird. The princess, like her, she would punish the men by tying them up naked and, and suspending them in the air. I would do that. Uh, that's, that sounds yeah, like Scott. That, that, that we, really we, does sound like Scott to me. But we liked it. But we were like, but there was something fun about that for us. We didn't have any sisters, so we were just kind of coming up with what women would do. <laughs> I mean, it's weird, but like a strange kind of, I mean, that's just little kids, like prepubescent. Right? Yes. Well, our imagination came up with it. Very strange. Trying to, yeah. trying to understand the mystery of the other gender that we never got to experience. It's crazy. Case, I, it's so interesting to hear your side of that. I don't remember a ton of that especially on the beginning side of things, because I totally remember us playing together and especially you drawing the creatures from my world. But um, <laughs> I remember the lonely beginnings. Do you remember playing the princess though, right? No, princess I totally Sarah. don't remember that either. <laughs> princess Crazy. Sarah, that was her name. Well, I guess I, I remember the name Sarah and I remember Nick being my, my main uh, you know, hero guy. Um, and I remember there was some other characters in like the main little team. Strongy and David. Yeah. Oh man. So you probably remember that. Cause I don't know, I don't know how old I was, but yeah, I because big... I want to ask for context, like what's the age difference between you two? Is it like two and a half years? Or yeah. I'm 29. Like I just turned 29. And I'll be turning 32 
So it's probably somewhere. Mm. Um, wait, so 30, 32, 29. Yeah. So that's like three years. Oh man. So Case, do you have a sense of how old you were? I think we were really young. I think, um, when, when, when I first asked you if I could come play in Zoomark, I think you were like five mm. or six. Dang. Um, that's super cool. No, and we totally do have those drawings. Um, and I think that probably did spur, I do remember, I do remember some of those days where Trevor and Casey were, they were, they were the cool ones. And I was a little outsider. They play like cops and robbers. And then I was just like the street sweeper or something. Like I just, I really had to fight to get in on the games, but then there was a transition moment. It must've come later, but Trevor got really too cool for school. He started going through his angsty, like, um, you know, teenager phase where he's like, um, everyone's weird and my brothers are weird and my family's weird. And he kept calling us penis wrinkles to this day. I don't really know what that means. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's yeah. Well, well Scott, I, I will tell you what it means. It's quite literal. <laughs> well, maybe I need to examine mine a little bit better. Um, but then, then it was cool. I feel like Casey and I then got to, to hang out a lot more. Um, and yeah. And then I think for sure there was a transition that happened that revolved around star Wars for us. Um, we grew up watching, you know, obviously the old ones and then the new, the new ones, the Jar Jar Binks trilogy started coming out and Casey and I really bonded and started to, I think, form, um, our, our, just our mental ability, to, uh, towards, uh, developing our, our thoughts and articulating ourselves and knowing what we like and what we don't like based on those movies. Cause we kind of talk about what George Lucas, you know, how, how he left behind what he, all the good things he had. And then of course, Lord of the Rings was kind of thrown into that mix. And, um, ever since I think that's been one of my favorite things about you cases, I, I really go to you for a lot of the, the thinking that I am processing or the, or here are the things that you're processing. And I feel like all, a lot of my childhood was getting caught up in the the things Casey was obsessed in at that moment. Sometimes it was marbles. Sometimes it was Lord of the Rings, making up his own board games. Um, and it was fascinating. It was super cool. And Trevor, Trevor now likes, he, he's, not, he's not angsty anymore. We all went through an angsty phase. I'm I'm still middle in the middle of it. Good job. <laughs> uh, but it's really funny to hear that because I always wanted a brother. I only have a little sister, and we try to murder each other at multiple occasions. Like we still fight to this day. Like, we we lived in an, uh, in a flat, and uh, whenever we had to push the button, it was literally a race who can push the button. And if she pushed the button twice, I would push it like five times to be like, I pushed it. I called it. <laughs> oh, man, I could see I that. Could. It's really funny because we also did the, the fantasy world kind of thing, only based on cartoons, not like real fantasy. So it's it's really funny to see that even though you're from another culture, that's, that kid fantasy thing is still a, a general thing that everyone does, apparently. Yes. Mm. Yep. Well, we always wanted a sister. Um, mm. Scott probably wouldn't have had to play the princess if, if we had had one. So <laughs> we always made um, our youngest brother, Ben, 
we made him be the girl whenever we were practicing dancing. And so he'd have to dip and we would, we would dip him. <laughs> they make Wait, Scott, you would be the girl for me too. I would dip, I would dip you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. Also, Joey, we definitely had multiple phases where we tried to kill each other with five boys. Parents can go on a date or whatever and be like, Oh, like the boys will take care of each other. And that is when all hell broke loose and Trevor and Casey would try to, you know, kill each other. And I'm in there and I'm trying to like, ah, you know, don't do that. And, um, Scott, yes. wasn't I chasing you around a campsite with like a knife a knife or something? Or no, no, maybe I had the knife and you had like a, a poker thing that you were threatening with. And I was like, and I was really, I was genuinely scared. And I, had to, I was like, I need a knife to protect myself. But you guys are lucky because I always had to deal with the fact that she's a girl. So no hitting, mm. no, no punching back. Even though she, on a couple of occasions, smashed my toes with a chair. Like literally oh, wow. pulling up a chair and just going down on it. Oh, man. But I remember one specific moment. I think we were, I was 17 and we were, uh, drove away from a Burger King. And I don't even remember what she said. She had been bugging me all day. And out of the blue, I just go like this and just hit her straight in the side of the head. <laughs> and that was the moment everything was done. No more fights, no more discussions. It was like total man dominance, baby. <laughs> I guess. I'm, honestly, don't hit your sister. Be nice to your sister. I decide what I do with mine. <laughs> but from that day forward, Joey established himself. Dominance. <laughs> no, we definitely had a dominance hierarchy. Uh, we had a whole soldier system where the guy, the kid, the boy, brothers were soldiers, and um, one of us was the general, and, and like different levels in between. And uh, eventually, I got tired of even being the general because it just required too much responsibility. So I, I upgraded Scott to general, and I just became the president. And uh, and uh, at that point, that, that was pretty good because I didn't have any responsibilities. Yeah, uh, and Scott, so useless. Scott really enjoyed the power. I think he he really he took to that pretty well. Um, Boy, <laughs> true, it's true. Well, <laughs> let's talk about some belief, unbelief, that kind of stuff. Um, let's do a little introduction of kind of where we're at in terms of belief. Got the, yeah, the way that we do this. Um, so, yeah, say kind of this is what I'm, I'm a believer in this with some sort of qualifier. Who, um, Case, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about this earlier and what I came up with is I'm, gonna, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, and the qualifier is that I'm seeking uh, I, I came up with a couple of different qualifiers because I was trying to really get at what it is that that means for me. And I would say I'm a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ who is seeking to be uh, his slave so that I may call him my master. So I was trying to come up with something that would sound really terrible um, to this present generation, like something that's just like the worst thing they could imagine being. I mean, like, no, actually, uh, that, like that 
kind of relationship with God is exactly what I'm going for. Hmm. We're talking about like a, like a reality. Um, so fundamental and so beyond our understanding to be in a relationship that um, uh, that integrated is actually what I'm going for. Hmm. Uh, and that dependent is what I'm going for. And, and that possessed is what I'm going for. Um, and that's the other thing, possess possessiveness. That's another word that um, people hate. So I just want to say that's what I'm going for. I'm trying to think of all the words that are going to trigger people and just <laughs> make them just start vomiting. Um, so yeah, I want to be possessed. I want to be enslaved by God. I want him to be my master um, and not sexually. So this isn't BDSM. Like it's, it's like literally, like literally I want it to be like, if you're thinking of like the bad version of that, not the kinky version, I want that. So um, hmm. there. <laughs> dang yeah yeah truly uh surrendered dominated fully under the authority of jesus yeah i guess another example would be like an animal owned by a person like a dog or a sheep i want that relationship <laughs> so there Any, anything and everything that can make you make people just be like Ugh. Yeah. Dude, on, done, honestly, if I can get a relationship as as a dog, I would be down with that because I would get pet, I would get food, they will go with walks on me, I'm down. <laughs> All the things I need in life, food, cuddles, and, oh. and, and just walkies. Totally. <laughs> also, another word for everyone listening to get you triggered, moist. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I had a friend in college who tried to make that the new cool. It didn't work. The new cool. It, oh, that's moist. <laughs> oh man, that's cheese. <laughs> that's not. That's not. Whoa, that's an oof. <laughs> Since you're talking, you want to go next? Yeah. So uh, it's really difficult because I had an introduction uh, yesterday, so I have to think of a new thing. So I'm going agnostic again to switch it up a little bit, and uh, I that makes me a believer of something out there, and I want to say that I have uh, the power of God and anime on my side. An anime? Yes. <laughs> oh boy. Um, That's going to require some unpacking. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm Scott, and uh, yeah, I'm also a believer in Jesus. And, and I really like what you said, Case, who, who's learning to submit all aspects of my life to him, but in coming up against just how ingrained my need for affirmation from other humans is really hitting me recently. I'm like, ugh, I really still live off of that as my like spiritual food affirmation from others. Mm. So that's the area I would love to see submitted. Mm. Um, cool. 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 Well, yeah, hopefully we impact this, including Joey's power of anime and Casey's slave relationship. Um, so Case, why don't you talk to us a little bit about uh, what got you to be fully convinced that Christianity, belief in Jesus, is what you wanted to stake your whole life on? Yeah. Um, 
I guess the way I've, I've kind of come to understand that, because I think when you believe something, you don't necessarily know why you believe it. So that even that's a journey to come to understand. I mean, uh, Joey, are you married? I just want to. Uh, nope. Not okay. Married. Okay. Sorry. So, so, I mean, I can't wait for you to be married. <laughs> oh man, but, I can't wait for me to be married. <laughs> Joey can't wait either. Um, the point I was going to make with marriage is you believe that someone loves you at some point or that they're going to be committed to you. Now that belief may be false, in which case you have a sad future ahead of you, but, um, but you believe it, but you don't know what, at what point you truly came to believe it and you don't know why you believe it. Uh, though later you may come up with some reasons as to why you think you came to believe it. So that's all I can really share with God is, um, there's two anecdotal reasons I believe in God. And then one that I think is accessible to everybody. The anecdotal reasons are actually the bigger reasons for me, but the ones that are inaccessible to other people. So the first two is uh, the change that I've seen in my own life through being in relationship with God, through pursuing him, through, through uh, pursuing uh, his word, and then also um, having him correct me through discipline and through, um, you know, the words of other Christians uh, and, and non-Christians too that are used to humble me to the truth that, that he has in store for me. So how can you, how can you make, that's not something that other is accessible to other people. It always falls flat, but it's supposed to. That's not your, that's not my witness for other people. It's actually my witness for myself. Mm. It's the change that I've seen happen inside of myself. So what happens is other people are going to hear that and they're like, Oh, cool. Does nothing for me. It's not supposed to, mm. I'm not offering it as a reason why anyone else should believe it's actually just for me. Do you have um, any examples of those case? Um, so I would say, uh, it comes down to, you know, being a compassionate human being, someone who Christ says the, the test of true religion is taking care of the widows and the orphans. And I've really come to believe that I would, even I went to India and, you know, saw the, the widows there and the way that they're treated and, um, and the plight that they're in and, that really is where religion is tested. Hmm. A, a true religion will take care of those widows. And if you have a true religion inside of you, your heart will break for that. And that will be the mission of your life is hmm. taking care of the orphans and the widows. And if you make it more complex than that and you add more into it than that, you, you're, you're just diluting what is true religion. And if you take out taking care of the orphans and the widows, it's not a religion at all. Hmm. So um, I would say that, that I've seen that compassion changing inside of me, not to the degree of other people. I'm totally willing to say that I'm less than everybody, but it's more than I had before. Hmm. That's a major difference. Hmm. It's not so much that I'm better than anybody. I'm just better than myself than I was earlier. Hmm. Who you were. And I know where that change has come from. It, it, I, 
the, the connection has been made for me, but I could never show that to someone else any more than I could show someone why I think that my wife is connected to me being better person today than I am. Uh, a lot of it's, you know, through the slow tug and pull of two personalities, right? Eva wants this stuff. I want this stuff. I can't always have it my way and have the relationship, right? So I have to change in order to re retain that tension. Hmm. That alone proves that Eva exists and that she's in tension with me because I'm having to shift away from my desires to, to stay close to her, to keep that tension. It's like dancing. Hmm. Um, so that's for me is God is that I have my desires. I have what I want. He has what he wants in order to contain that tension. I have to shift away from what I naturally would otherwise have wanted. Hmm. Okay. So this idea of, yeah, God's, uh, changing of who you are and, yeah. and that personal relationship that, that ends up changing. Yeah. Who you are. Right. And so okay. that's anecdotal. I mean, the only way someone could access that is if they personally knew me my whole life. Like maybe my mom will be able to, like that'll be a testimony for her. Hmm. But it would mean nothing to anybody listening to this. It would sound as flat as any of the reasons I would give that even I love each other. Hmm. Um, the next one is a little bit more accessible, I'd say, but still pretty anecdotal. Uh, and that's the change I've seen in other people's lives. I've seen other people come to Christ. I've seen uh, people... Uh, you know, be born again, really, really try to pursue their faith. And I've seen it change their hearts and become more compassionate, more outward, um, outwardly focused rather than inwardly less focused on building some awesome career and actually thinking about, um, working towards the betterment of other people and, and like at the expense of themselves, at the expense of being an empowered person, what a load of crap that is, uh, it, like people who talk about, you know, empowerment, uh, I've got to become stronger. Get over yourself, go help someone, go live your life for someone other than yourself. That's actually how I see people changing for the better. So, and I've seen that through a, a genuine relationship with Christ. A lot of people call themselves Christians, et cetera, et cetera. But I've seen when people truly pursue Christ that I've seen that change happen. So that's an anecdotal reason for me. Also, no one listening to this can access that unless they know the same person, <laughs> but that's for me, right? That's my testimony. Um, so yeah, so those are the first two reasons. Those are the anecdotal reasons that should mean almost absolutely nothing to everybody listening. Actually, it's very deeply impacting me, if I'm completely honest, especially the first one. Because it's the first time that that someone talking about religion gave this very specific view on how they describe their relationship with God. Like, as as a comparison to a normal, well, normal relationship. I made quotes for the ones that are only listening. Um, but that it's just a normal relationship and that the relationship changes on the way you change. And I really, really like that. Because it makes a, it, it makes total sense. Compared to uh, a lot of stories are normally about, oh, I, I have faith because I had this certain experience and that's why I have faith. And you just say like, I, I just feel it. And as a person, I want to 
go that way and, and just grow with it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, um, it's the same with Eva. I actually feel like marriage is always a great comparison because it's almost equally inexplicable how things happen. Like people say about their spouse, if it's a good relationship, I'm a better person today than I was when I first met. And it's true. Like I'm such a better person compared to myself, right? Not compared to other people. Whoever wants to like throw the prideful thing on me. I'm just a better person than I was because of Eva. Hmm. And that proves the relationship to me because how can you change without an outside influence? Actually impossible. A rock can't shift unless something, unless a force comes upon it. Hmm. A force has come upon me. It's my wife, right? She has come upon me, has forced an immovable object to shift. Hmm. Same thing has happened with God. Hmm. And Joey, that feels like new information or or articulated differently. Uh, Articulated differently. Huh. Because again, normally it's it, it's sort of the same what people are saying, but this very specific comparison to marriage, I don't know, it does something. It fe- it feels like the right way to describe it for me at least. Hmm. Cool. But also because I uh, totally feel the same. Um, it's not from a relationship; it's from a friendship. I fe- I totally feel the same. If I look back at myself from six years ago to now, one of my friends made me read, dress better. Uh, get a haircut from time to time, lose some extra weight, not because she wanted to, but because we had the same things we like, we did the same things, and I became a better person because this person was in my life and I wanted to change to uh, keep up with myself, not with her, but with myself specifically. Hmm. So I, I recognize that as well. And I, I love that you found that in your wife because that I think that's one of the most important things. Hmm. And, and with that relationship with your friend, would you say like those changes you made also kept the tension between you? Like, be, like the fact that you were better in yourself allowed you guys to stay, to, to retain or even dive deeper into a relationship with each other. Yeah, because we're both totally book nerds. We, uh, for example, yesterday evening, we talked for three hours just about books, just what we want to read, what we've read in the, in the past, what we uh, are reading right now, just talking about books. Yep. And I think uh, that's just what keeps uh, keeps us as friends going. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's like she she introduced you into reading more, and then because you've been reading more, it opens up all these other topics to talk about with each other. That she that you you can have differing opinions or have the same opinion or uh, dive into new topics. So I think yeah, it's exactly what Casey's talking about too. Like. Oh no, internet. Hey Siri, turn off. Bad relationships enable you to remain the person that you are. So that's. Oh, is everything all right? My 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 internet just. Uh... <laughs> uh, oh, and my I was muted. My internet just uh, froze for a second. Oh okay. Is Siri in the background trying to send? <laughs> I was like, who's the lady? <laughs> Siri's like, I want to help. I, I make you better. Siri's like, did you call on me to make you better? Siri. I, I asked Siri to, to turn me. off the internet. <laughs> She's like, I'm always here to make you better. Siri, shut up and go back in your phone. 
<laughs> exactly. You're not part of this. Who are you? Um, man, okay, this is cool. Enjoy. I'm really I'm glad that you, you jumped in and just talking about how this is this seems to be a different articulated. So Case, you said there's three things. What's the what's the third? So the third one is probably the least important to me, but the most accessible to everybody else. And it's the one that you'll find on the internet as far as um, reasons, uh, like uh, debates between theists and atheists and stuff like that. Um, there's a whole slew of arguments, like the cosmological argument, the, is it the teleology? I can't even pronounce it. I'll look like a fool. Um, there's, uh, you know, the, the Kalam cosmological argument. There's all these arguments. None of them mean all that much to me. I don't know. If one my, argument, okay. Case, I don't know if any of our listeners are going to know any of those things. I'll just go look them up. They're okay. all over. So um, there's all these ancient arguments, uh, you know, some that were put forth by Thomas Aquinas, others that were put forth even earlier. Um, I don't know if Augustine was the originator of some, but there's uh, a lot of ancient arguments for God's existence that are, are still used in debates today between atheists and theists. Those are, they're all good. And I think there's, there's power, they're good, strong arguments. None of them are the reason I believe. Um, the, the one argument that is actually one that I'm not saying I came up with, but I came up with it for myself. So I discovered this for myself. Uh, I'm sure millions of people have come up with it for themselves as well, but I've, so I'm trying to think of the best way to dive into this. My, my, one of the biggest things that has convinced me of, uh, of God in kind of like a, an accessible way that for everybody else is um, the, the modern world and the miracle that I see as has happened in the modern world. And the miracle that I see is the emergence of the concept of equality. And you find that specifically with like a fine point uh, delivered in Western law in legal equality. And just to kind of put this in context, it's never been accomplished. I, I challenge all of the, the viewers, challenge me on this. It's never been accomplished in human history. Legal cool. equality hmm. for sex, for race, for class, has never been accomplished. All the three of those uh, has never been accomplished in any society in human history before it was accomplished recently, relatively, in Western in the Western world, mm. in Christian nations. Now, the I went back and actually for myself tried to retrace where the different activists uh, came from. In their in their like um, philosophical and um, inspirational um, pedigree, right? So whenever you have a great thinker, they'll they'll say who was the major person they were pivoting off of, right? Mm -hmm. So for um, so for like uh, Marx, Karl Marx, if we're going like atheism or or like stuff, he would have said like Feuerbach. Right, Feuerbach was the person he was pivoting off of, and Feuerbach would have said Hegel, Hegel, however you say his name, couldn't care less. Um, he's uh, he's the person he's pivoting off of, right? And maybe he's he would have said, um, 
I don't know. I mean, he, he was contemporary with some different people. Spinoza, maybe. But, but yeah, I mean, Spinoza was something, someone that everyone was referencing, but maybe he would have said Hume or, you know, they were all pivoting off of someone that preceded them pretty closely. Hmm. Well, you can do the same thing with legal equality. A good, a good starting place would be, um, well, you could just start with like the, the Civil Rights Act of 1960. You could just go with Martin Luther King or someone like that. Who, who was he pivoting off of? Hey, so right? you say, wait, when you say pivoting, I realize that it's uh, at, at a Bible study once I use that word and people are like, what does that word mean? But so you mean like, it's like when someone cites their sources based on the thinking of this person, I now am expanding it to say this, like, is that what you, so it's like, it's a citing your sources. It's like I'm because of the thinking of this person, I'm now advancing into this. It's the music. giant whose shoulders you're standing on. Okay. And you're giving credit to them. Got it. So I trace this back in what every single activist in America and, and Britain as well references um, and, at, and elsewhere in the world too, is the Declaration of Independence. So they'll reference this document. Even Frederick Douglass referenced the Declaration of Independence for his activism. Hmm. Susan B. Anthony referenced it for her activism. So it's a good place to go back to is the Declaration of Independence and say what happened there, right? It was written by somewhat, I'd say like a deist, Thomas Jefferson. Well, um, not like, not like you're like prime example of a Christian, right? There's some debate whether he was a Christian or not, but I'm even willing to just offer him up as not a Christian. Okay. So this is not important. The question is where did, what did he pivot off of to, to put down the declaration of independence? So what's interesting is he actually says himself of the declaration of independence that he didn't, he didn't uh, come up with the concepts in that document that he was actually bringing together the ideas that were, that were surfacing, that were um, common among the people at that time. And he actually wrote that document largely taken from the declaration of independence of Virginia. Hmm. And that document was written, um, by a man who I'm about to forget his name. I think it's George Mason. But anyway, George Mason, this is so, okay, quick, interesting, fascinating note about this. Um, and I could go look up his name. Forgive me if I got his name wrong. But George Mason, he actually wrote a document, the, the Declaration of Independence for Virginia, which is almost the same as the one for the United States. But he was one of the few guys who was asked to uh, sign the Declaration of Independence that Thomas Jefferson wrote and refused. And he refused, even though he was the originator of those ideas, he refused because he didn't, he didn't want to be, have those ideas connected with a nation that had slavery. Because he had written those concepts to represent a nation that was actually largely abolitionist. Hmm. And so when people say, well, the words that Thomas Jefferson wrote can't be genuine. They can't actually be, um, have conviction in them or can't actually be talking about all men because 
the nation had slaves. But that's because they don't understand history. The actual person who wrote those words refused to sign the Declaration of Independence for the very reason of slavery. Hmm. Anyway, so my point is, where do these ideas come from and why are they there? They're coming from people with a conviction. George Mason was actually a very strong Christian in comparison huh. to Jefferson. Well, where was he pointing backwards? Where was he pivoting off of? Where was the whole nation of America pivoting off of for their abolition? It was actually a lot of it was the Quaker movement, the Puritan movement, all these different uh, movements coming out of, out of Britain seeking freedom. That's where they were pivoting. And where did they get that concept of the equality of man, of, of people being equal and not having that hierarchical structure? It actually comes from their church structure. They hmm. came from... Uh, from the mainland, from Britain, you know, some people, mostly Britain, came from the place where there was a great structure, where there was people who had higher, closer access to God, and people who had to just listen. Hmm. And in their churches, they said, um, in their churches, they said, everybody has an equal right to speak because everybody is equally a priest unto God. There's no priest class. Everyone is a priest. Everyone has access to Christ Jesus. There is no vicar of Christ. There's no one closer. This was the great revolution of Protestantism. Um, so everyone was equal in the church. They all had an equal right to speak. They are all equally priests um, in Christ. And so that translated over into America. Hmm. Um, so then you can ask, okay, so where did that, that idea come from? Well, obviously that came from Martin Luther and Calvin in the 15th. Of quotes from them saying that we are all equally priests. We all have an equal right to translate the word of God and to interpret it for ourselves. We all have an equal right to say, I have a real relationship with Christ and I can speak with authority about that just as much as anybody else can. Um, so that's where that concept of equality came from. But then you, you can ask the further question, where did Martin Luther get that concept from? It comes straight from Jesus Christ's own mouth. Hmm. And he says, in me, there's neither Jew nor Greek, right? That's race. There's neither slave nor free class, nor male nor female sex. He destroys all three of those. And um, that's one of the best verses, and there's plenty of others, but Christ makes it very clear. In him, there, will, there is not uh, those distinctions. That in the context of Christ, we are all equal. We all, when we knock on the door of heaven, he's not like, oh, uh, you're a woman? Well, you had to do 10 more jumping jacks than men, and you did not. You did, you did the same amount as the men and you are not getting into heaven. And it is, he's saying you, the requirements for getting, for being close to him are the same, regardless of your immutable characteristics. Mm. It sounds so, it sounds so obvious because of the context we live in. You have to realize that that has never happened in human history. 
that's not actually what religions have done in the past. They've actually just inculcated uh, differences and made them and, 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 and subjugated people based on their immutable characteristics or elevated them. So, case so, so anyway, my point, sorry, my, my <laughs> final point, my final point, this is my point, is that <laughs> a miracle is defined as something that is welcome, surprising, and inexplicable by nature, therefore supposed to be the product of the supernatural, right? Uh, Merriam-Webster, Oxford uh, Dictionary, look them up, that's the definition. Uh, so this equality happening in law is welcome, is a surprise when you look at it in the context of human history and how humans evolve. Think of it like you're an alien species looking at Earth. And you've, you've been, you, you live forever, right? So you're watching, you live for a long time. So you've been watching humans. And then just like that, everything shifts. And humans are acting completely differently with completely different, you would ha, you'd be surprised. So it is surprising. And it happened very quickly. It shifted on a, on a dime. Um, and then I don't think, and this is the final part that I would want to defend. I don't think it can be explained by nature. Hmm. So I, I don't think it can be explained by natural law. Um, and so I consider it a supernatural miracle of Christianity. No other religion has done this. Hmm. I can show that as well. So anyway, that is my non-anecdotal, something accessible to everybody miracle that for me proves Christianity. So let me see if I can summarize it back to you. Um, and then I'd be curious to hear, Joey, if you've got any thoughts on it. Um, but this one is, if we look at the things that we most prize in Western civilization. So this is not just in the United States, not just in the Netherlands, but we kind of see um, the West, however you kind of define those boundaries, but um, similar values such as equality under the law, that it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, the party does, you don't get, you don't get better uh, advantages if you're if you're a woman if you're a man. Um, race, yeah, what your uh, freedom of religion, freedom to of speech, and so these these values that have become almost so part of our system, so part of our psyche, the way we see the world, that we can take them for granted. It's like, oh, well, of course these things should exist, but they haven't throughout history. Um, and the, those things exist because of uh, Christianity's influence on the West. And the way you got there is by saying, what are the main thinkers that trace to the big ideas that we have as a Western civilization, equality under the law, things like that? What are the big, what are the big thinkers that, that link to that? And you know that they're linked by who they're quoting or who they're standing on the shoulders of. And it can all point back to one source. The one you quoted was the writings of Paul in, I think it's first Corinthians, um, who ultimately follower of Jesus, as well as right, right. he himself quoting the writings of Jesus. So is that kind of what you're saying case that this is a, uh, a reason for believing not just in God, but in Christian God, because of everything that we value and the source of those values is Christianity. Yeah. Okay. So Joey, um, is that new information? <laughs> just, yeah. What, what's some of the things you're thinking about? 
Dude, there was so much new information that my brain is automatically like pulsating. Like, okay, <laughs> we we need a moment. <laughs> um, no, I actually joking. All joking aside, I've read about uh, some of these points in a book called uh, "Stem from the Beginning." Uh, it's a book about slavery, and uh, they're now at the point that America has been, uh, yeah, getting people in. Uh, what slavery was, what Christianity was at that moment. So a couple things, uh, not really explained in the book, uh, cross over into what you just said, Casey. So a lot of things I uh, resonate with, with what you said and how you said them. Um, what I'm thinking, I feel like that's the perfect description of uh, what a miracle is. And especially how I think a lot of people actually look at religions, but also spirituality itself. Like it's not to explain. It's it's just there. Something happened, and you you can't put your finger on it. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, and that's also what I found interesting. That's a bit of a different definition of a miracle than maybe what I'm used to. And Joey, this is maybe what you're talking about. My, if I were to throw out like an initial perception of what a miracle is, it's some cool human power moment where you're like, "Whoa, did he usually have that power? No, it's a miracle." Um, and often I think through church history, it's like the guy who ate a wafer and the wafer wasn't digested. And you're like, it's a miracle. Um, but, uh, case, could you hit the, the things you said again from Miriam Webster's dictionary, uh, the definition and, of it. And Oxford. In fact, any dictionary has this definition. So a miracle uh, is welcome, surprising, um, inexplicable by nature or natural law, and therefore considered to be assumed supernatural hmm. i feel uh the one that i've seen recently in a documentary uh with zach afron he traveled the world with uh i'm bad with names oh yeah he traveled, he traveled the world and they were in i feel like italy and there was this church that had healing waters there was this girl that dreamt of a certain spot and uh, and it was supposed to have healing water, but everyone called her crazy because she just started digging just in the middle of just in the middle of a city, and all of a sudden she actually hit a a spring of water that's still there to this day in a church, and it and it started healing people. So wow. even even people with cancer, that doctors were like, "Oh, you're gonna die." Uh, they went into that water and they they come out clean, no cancer whatsoever. They lived. Oh. So I feel like that's the the complete definition of what you just said, Casey, as a miracle. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's yeah, exactly. It's welcome, obviously, no cancer. Surprising. <laughs> Anyone would be surprised <laughs> by that, and uh, at least difficult to explain by natural law. So, uh, Case, yeah, I feel like these are really interesting. I don't know how you describe pillars of your faith or, or main reasons why you, why you believe you've got your own story of change through relationship with God, through interaction with his word, as well as the things other people have said to you. You've got the evidence of changed lives of those that you know and respect, um, people who are genuine followers of Christ, which would be an interesting thing to see how you define that. Um, and then you've got this societal pillar, this societal reason um, that you love the Western world and you want, uh, and, and you see the source of those values that created the Western world. Um, what would be some credible, credible, or maybe in your eyes, non-credible, what, what would be criticisms you'd get for this kind of ideology or, or thought? Like what, where would people push back? 
on on the two anecdotal ones or on my third one? Maybe the third one. Yeah, because the anecdotal ones are inaccessible to anybody. That's, I mean, the concepts are there, but no one knows the people I know unless you do. Because you would say, yeah, because it's like anecdotal evidence is that it's like, well, you know, these are my experiences, this and this is how I see them. And then they'd, they'd say, well, I see it differently, and, but we can't get it anywhere because it's, it's based on anecdotes. Yes. Um, the example I like to use is if I said, um, hey, uh, yesterday, uh, so the first example of the change in my heart, right, is like if I said, yesterday, I prayed to God that my water would be turned to wine, and it was. And <laughs> how much would that mean to you? Nothing. Right. Like, cause like, oh, it might mean a little if you really thought I was an honest person. Right. But like, but it's, it's so inaccessible, but let's say that actually did happen for me. It would mean everything to me, but it would still mean pretty little to anyone listening to this that doesn't know me. Right. Okay. So second example, what if I said me yeah, uh, yesterday, myself and 50 other people prayed to God that our water would be turned to wine. And it was right. That would mean a little something more because witnesses, the fact that you can have a lot of collabor collaborating people means something, but yeah. still inaccessible because how do you know we all didn't just pour wine into it? There's no way to prove it. You can't replay that um, scene for everybody. Okay, final example. This is the one that just should rock people's world. <laughs> if I said, you can come to this corner of this intersection on any day with a cup of water, I will pray with you and it will be changed to wine. That is accessible. That is ballsy. If I said that, that should impress people because you can test it. You can actually test that. The other two you can't test. Hmm. So the first two reasons I gave, if they didn't seem impressive, that's okay. They're not supposed to be impressive to you. They're impressive to me. They happened for me. The final one says that you can actually come and experience this and you can test this to see if it's true. Well, I just laid out a whole argument for why one of the greatest miracles in human history is a Christian miracle. Hmm. You can go and test it. You can actually go and figure out if that's true or not. Go look at the history. Go trace it for yourself. As well as potentially the evidence of um, there's not a similar byproduct of the other major world religions. Well, that's the thing. Go, go look at those other world religions and, let, and tell me what you think they produced. Hinduism, the caste system. Read the Jewish laws. Tell me if you think they created legal equality in the Old Testament. Hmm. I don't think you'll find that. So that's Judaism, that's Hinduism. Tell me if you think Islam creates legal equality for the sexes. Let's I would like to... There. Let's not go there. <laughs> but, but my point is... Go ahead and look for yourself. I'm not going to make statements on them, but I'm saying look into it. Tell me if you think that, and that covers almost 70% of the world, hmm. just with those three religions. Hmm. So that will cover most of humanity. The, um, one, the one case I've been pushed back on is Buddhism. Um, okay. And I haven't looked into it, but that'd be... Okay, uh, look, look into Buddhism, look into Tibet, and look into Japan before they are colonized by Western ideas. Hmm. Actually look into the caste systems that were developed there. I'm asking people to actually have a, 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 to look honestly into the, into the cultures that were created by these religions. 
And it's not legal equality. It's not what you're going to get. Okay, so pause. Joey, I can tell you've got a thought. Yeah, I've got a thought because the, the real question you have to ask yourself is because we're a Western world. What does equality mean for you as a person or as your society? Because Japan, definitely not equal, but they try their hardest. But their statement is, if I'm a year or a week older than you, I am wiser, smarter and better than you. Uh, because I had a week more of an experience. So there's never equality. But at the same time, they are, as a society, really focused on men and women are equal. Everyone needs to respect. Everyone needs this. Everyone needs that. Based on also their religion. So it's also, I think, a big matter of perspective. Like, what is equality? Because pharaohs, for example, yeah, there was no equality there. <laughs> In you Egypt, is that you're talking about with Pharaoh? Yeah, yeah, yeah de definitely no equality. I mean, yeah, if you were uh, Cleopatra, oh, butchered that name. Cle uh, Cleopatra. Cleopatra, thank yeah. you. Uh, but if you were her, yeah, there, you had power. You were the shit, so to speak. Right. But, right. but other, other, everyone else, yeah, basically a slave. Huh. So, so, it's... so with going with that... Um, uh, and, and my dad challenged me with the Mongolians and I'm sure the viewers are having their ideas. You know, the, the one with Japan, it just, I would just ask people to look at it before it was colonized by America because America actually drafted their, cons their, their constitution their, their So um, the US uh, basically colonized their government to look like ours. Um, and, and I'm not talking about equality in general. Because I actually don't believe like our court systems are equal. I don't think that equal. Um, I think that there's a lot of like bias that happens in 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 uh, the justice system. But I'm saying legal equality, legislation, things that come out of the legislative body. Legal equality is, has only been accomplished in the West, and it's the first time in human human history. And so that's my challenge: is not um, not is is everything equal obviously not everything is equal i'm just talking legal equality as the miracle okay okay so you're not necessarily taking on like a wage gap or um right. um a poverty um inequality right. it's just no, what like is that, the yeah. legend because and maybe this is worth noting prior uh legislative inequalities were codified in the law things like only men can vote or only um only rich landowners can vote or uh, mm -hmm. only the knights in the feudal system can vote. If you're a burger or if you're a um, peasant or whatever, middle-class mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Businessman. <laughs> um, and before that, yeah, it was like only the nobles in the King's family can vote if you're you know related to the King or something. Um, so I think that's, yeah. What you're driving at. Um, okay. So Joey, do you have any follow-up thoughts on that? Japan is not necessarily expertise, but you've you've watched a lot, a lot of things. Uh, li listen, I I studied that country so so <laughs> so well that if I could speak the language, I could actually move there. <laughs> uh, but no, I don't have any initial thoughts. I just uh, try to clarify also for myself, uh, yeah, which direction we went with this topic, and I I actually totally agree. I don't think I can think of any other religion that did the same thing. Uh, over all these years hmm. Hmm. not in that regard at least one of the um <clears throat> well actually joy what 
Well, how are we doing on time? Uh, we're about a uh, close to an hour in. Okay, great. So maybe we should wrap up here ish. Um, case I, so we'll come back and, and record a part two here after just a little bit of a break. I do want to hear a little bit more just of your personal story. Um, because you know, uh, we're brothers, but one of the things that I appreciate about my, my four brothers is that we all have interacted with Christianity in just a slightly different way, whether it's the type of uh, church that we have chosen to be a part of or the way that we express our faith. And it feels like our personality is also kind of uh, part of that equation. So it's a cool little like tester thing to see five people raised in a similarly fashion by, you know, same two people. Um, ben got spanked less. So, you know, that, that affects things. Um, and, but how one, we're all still walking uh, in our faith as Christians, but then how maybe some of the differences. So I just want to unpack a little bit of that w- with you. Um, especially jumping into the Orthodox faith, you are the only brother so far that has jumped into the Orthodox church um, from our Protestant background. So I would love to get into that. Um, yeah. Casey, any other things that you wanted to, to follow up with on this specific conversation? Um, I think like, no, like those are, you know, the major points on that, on like, without getting too far off, you know, what, what we've been talking about. I think that's pretty much all my thoughts. I think the major thing that I want to say is like, it's not up for me. Like if people don't agree, they need to go look it up, like actually learn stuff, like have reasons why they disagree. If, if the things I'm saying don't sound convincing, that's not my fault. It's, it's like, you got to go be convinced yourself. Like <laughs> you have to learn enough to actually have convictions. And, and, and like, if the, maybe the evidence will lead you in a different direction, in which case come back to me and educate me. That's what I want. Like, I, I don't, I'm not trying to say like, this is just like, just believe because I'm saying we don't have enough time to go into all the evidence that I've compiled, yeah. nor would I even want to. People have to look up these things themselves. Hmm. Um, in case, would it be uh, too long of a, a thing to have you comment on the idea that what you have put forward is not because of Christianity, but because of humanist philosophies working itself out over time? Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we could go into that. I have a response to that. And is it a lot? It would that would be a longer discussion than like a one minute thing? Um, I could I could do like a little taster in one minute. But um, yeah, just like because a lot of people do say they're like, well, it all came from the Enlightenment. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stuff like just that. just popped in from the religion of the Enlightenment. Like, <laughs> well, but but they would they would do something similar to what you've just done. They would take yeah. a look at, um, you know, Thomas Locke and um, Hobbes and and different people like that. And they would, and then they'd go to Spinoza and they'd go to, um, and they'd work their way back to ancient Greek philosophers. Right. So they would, fi- they would find the origins of humanism um, and work its way similar to what you've done, the, the standing on the giants. Um, and they would say, sure, Christianity had its impact. So they wouldn't say, it's, of course, they wouldn't say it's because of this religion. They'd say, we see Christianity's influence, but Christianity became a dampening influence. It's right. the, I think the thing they would say is Christianity helped to a certain point, and then it started like it's like a bell curve. It started hurting, and humanism kind of had to rise out. Of, I think that's worth responding to because that that is on the back of people's minds. I think they'd be disappointed if that didn't get addressed. That's what I was thinking too, and it might be nice just to do it in this episode so we can go in another direction the next one. Oh, really? Okay, do it. So do it. Do that. Oh, now. 
Well, okay. <laughs> um, we okay, so, so I guess okay. to respond to that, uh, and I'll try to just make this a taster rather than like fully addressing it. So hopefully people give me some grace in that, but, um, essentially there's actually two enlightenments that happen. There's the American, look it up. There's the American light enlightenment that happened. And then there's the European enlightenment that happened. There's, there was some cross pollination that happened, but actually not as much as you might think. Um, the American enlightenment, uh, was really a grassroots situation where brilliant people, um, took hold of these ideas that were happening on, on the commoner level, on the, on the level of the basic, um, parishioners. Uh, and taking those ideas and things that were happening and giving them the flower of intellectual rigor. Um, and that was really what was happening with the um, American Enlightenment. What was happening in the European Enlightenment was actually um, a secular Enlightenment. And it actually did spur from, you know, Plato, Aristotle, going through ten, tons of people up to like Descartes and from mm -hmm. Descartes to Spinoza and from Spinoza to Hume, and from Hume to Voltaire, um, probably. But, uh, yeah, uh, there from Hume, it, w it eventually would have gone to a couple of different people, Kant. Um, it would have gotten to Hegel, and from Hegel, it would have gone to Feuerbach, uh, Schopenhauer, and from those, from even like Feuerbach, he was referenced by as a pivotal person for both Nietzsche and for Marx. Huh. And from Nietzsche came, uh, you know, all, all of like Alfred Rosenberg was the great philosophical thinker of uh, and kind of like the, the prime intellectual mover of the Third Reich. And for Marx, that then went to Lenin, who was, you know, part of the 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 movement in, in Russia. But right. also Marx is referenced by Mao, by um by Lenin, by Stalin, and pretty much any any communistic leader will point back to Marx as the, like the 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 progenitor of their of their train of thought. So you can trace, and so what you notice about each one of those people, and and Hegel may be like a slight exception in that he was like a Christian pantheist, in that he used Christian terminology to describe a secular world, but um, as far as being a Christian, if people don't want Jefferson to be considered Christian, then I don't think Heidel gets to be credited one. But um, so uh, <laughs> we're not going to play a two different game on that. Um, but they're atheists. It's atheists all the way through. They're all secular. And so you can say agnostic, what do you want? But they're not Christians. It's not a Christian pedigree. Huh. That is not what formulated. Uh, and so what you see in Europe and in the rest of the world is communism is a western aberration it does come from the west but it comes mm. from a secular movement in the west that had its real birth in the enlightenment the european enlightenment mm. whereas the american whereas um equality under the law is is the product of a christian pedigree of thought um that wasn't always the product of just great philosophers but was actually like something that was bubbling under the surface among the common masses hmm. Um, hmm. And, and then given flower by intellectual thinkers like Thomas Jefferson, George Mason, um, hmm. you know, all of these guys uh, then brought it to the surface in a way that uh, gave it distinction. 
So anyway, that's my response to that. That's a good little, yeah, that's a good teaser. That's a, an, an interesting thought too. It seems like they, two paths were, were on the same trajectory, but then there was a, a split and, and one was because of secularism became. And there's not even a split. It, it, um, there, there's some cross-pollination is what I would call it. But Aristotle okay. to Descartes to, um, to uh, Spinoza up to Hume, you know, all the way through to Marx and Nietzsche, it's just secular. It's not a Christian pedigree. Right, right. Hmm. Okay, wow, yeah, yeah, fascinating. Um, and then, Joey, any, any things that you wanted to either respond to or, or jump more into? Uh, no, man, I, I kind of want to know more, <clears throat> so, damn, uh, about uh, Casey himself. Yeah. So that that's definitely for my part too. Uh, for this, oh man, I have so many things that I just have to think over for a moment before I can even think about responding. So yeah. For yeah. now, no. There's so much information. All very fascinating. I have to say that, but uh, it's it's too much for someone that never heard of it to respond right now. Yep. And this is why we need you, listeners, because of course we're just here in person. We're having a good old conversation. And what we really want is a community who fact checks and looks into things and does their own research and says, hey, what, what about this? We listened to that guy, Casey, and he mentioned these things. What about, the, did he consider this? We really want to welcome that kind of dialogue. So uh, come at us, people. Uh, you can respond to, to Casey. You can send us some feedback, Facebook, Instagram, email, all that good stuff. Um, but Casey, this has been great. And your, your, your research really shines. It just shows that you really, you're, you're hitting things that I don't, I don't even know these people. I don't know Hume. I need to look him up. Um, and yeah, this next time, this next episode, we'd love to hear a little bit more kind of on your personal journey and how that developed, uh, interacting with Christianity. So we'll wrap up there. And join us for part two next time. You've been listening to Between Two Worlds, a podcast about belief, unbelief, and everything in between. Join us for part two. Bye. Bye.